0: God, we want to thank you for grace, for mercy, and for Jesus. That he is your grace. He is your mercy on earth. That he is your love for us in the flesh. And God, as we walk into this room and as we live our lives, we are all in different places on this journey of faith. And, and some come here this morning in brokenness. Some come in with anxiety and fear. And God, I pray for those people that that your word would bring them comfort, that your word would bring them strength, that their faith would be increased. God, I pray that you would continue to do the work in all of us that you began, that you started, that we would know you a little bit deeper every day. And so, Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart this morning would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, we're going to read a big chunk of Scripture today. And I was going to kind of water it down, but you know what I find? It's okay to read the Bible in church. In fact, they, they kind of encourage this kind of stuff. So we're, we're, th- really, they do. So we're going to do this. We're going to read one of my favorite stories in the Bible, like of all time. So here it is. This is First Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I've rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the hearts. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse said to Shema, pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? "There is are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So we sent and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Samuel then went to Ramah. This is, like I said, one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. This is David's coming out party. This is when he finally comes into the biblical story. He will finally take his place in God's story of redemption. Now, God sends his prophet, Samuel to go to Bethlehem. He's like, listen, why are you still mourning over Saul? God's favor has been taken from King Saul because King Saul was disobedient and now there's something new that's going to be happening. And God wants to send Samuel to Bethlehem. And so they kind of banter back and forth a little bit, but Samuel ends up going. His mission is to anoint the new king. Very specific, he's going there for a reason. Now, the elders of Bethlehem, they get a little bit nervous. It says they tremble with fear when Samuel comes to their town because the prophetic ministries that we have today are very different from the prophetic ministries that are in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Let let me be clear. I believe in the prophetic gift. I have seen the prophetic gift in action. I have had prophetic words spoken over me that have actually come to pass. But when the Old Testament prophet came to you, it was not to bring you a word that was encouraging or that God was very pleased with you or he's going to do these amazing things. Usually when the Old Testament prophet came to you, you were messing up or had messed up and God wanted to have a little chat with you about it. And so when Samuel shows up, the people in Bethlehem, they're a little freaked out. What did we do? Why is Samuel the prophet here? Because, see, he was not known for his small talk. He wasn't just the guy that stopped by every once in a while and said, hey, I was just passing through, Want to see how you guys were doing. He was known to get right down to business. And so today, this day, Bethlehem dodges a bullet because Samuel has come to worship and to sacrifice. Samuel has come to anoint a new king. And so as time goes on during this this time of celebration, the first son, Eliab, comes before Samuel. And Samuel's got to be a little impressed. He's like, hey, dude's tall, probably on the big side. He's the eldest son. This has to be the one God wants but God rejects him. And God tells Samuel, you know, don't, don't look at the outward appearance. That's what people look at. Because the Lord looks at what's inside. The Lord looks at the hearts of a person. And so then the next brother comes by, Abinadab. Nope, not him either. And Shema, Mm-mm. he doesn't make the cut. Altogether, seven brothers pass by. And after the third in this story, the, the other brothers, they're not named anymore. But none of them, none of them make the cuts. And Samuel's got to be scratching his head a little bit. And he asked Jesse, is this it? Is this all Is this all the sons that you have? And Jesse says, well, you know, there's the youngest, and he's out there, he's tending sheep. Now, the word in Hebrew for youngest is the word katon. Say it with me, katon. That was sad. Say it one more time, right? One, on the count of three, right? One, two, three. Very good. That's youngest. Your your mission today is to use that in a sentence. Just drop it and and then explain it to people what it means, and then you can tell the story of David, and then you could be sharing the. See how this all works out. Hebrew is the root of evangelism. I digress. So anyway, "catoine" means small, young, insignificant, unimportant. This is the way David was viewed by his family, by his dad, by his brothers. They didn't even think him worthy enough to call him in from tending sheep. But Samuel does. Samuel says, we're not sitting down until the boy gets here. And David is just a boy at this, at this point. See, he was out there tending sheep because in, in, the, in the Bedouin communities, Men didn't tend sheep. It was the children who tended sheep because nobody wanted to tend sheep. That was just kind of a job where you let the kids do. I mean, what could happen? A sheep dies, a kid runs away. It was a job that, that couldn't really mess too, much, too many things up. And so David is called and the Lord says, he's the one, he's the one. And Samuel rises and anoints him with oil in front of all of his brothers. His entire family. And this goes against the culture of the day. The youngest, the most insignificant, the unimportant one. David is just an ordinary kid in the world's eyes. But he is chosen by God to take part, to have a major part in God's presence in the history of the world. And you see, this is very good news for us. This story is about the inclusion of ordinary people. People with no real social status. People that lack any recognition. People that are just kind of undistinguishable from everybody else. Being called by God for his purposes has nothing to do with a popularity vote. Has nothing to do with any of your proven abilities. Not even what the world may consider your potential. Being chosen by the Lord is his work and his work only. David is chosen. But you see, within our culture, we kind of, we kind of, well, we don't practice that too often. See, us common folk, we know and understand that we need to call the experts And the professionals. And we kind of give over our responsibilities to the the people who really know what they're doing, the well educated, those with lots of experience. And so we just kind of, we kind of just go along and let those people handle the things that maybe we can handle ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certain things that we need experts for. You would not want me to perform brain surgery on you. Things would go really bad for you at that moment. And so there are times when we need experts and we need professionals. But our, our culture just says the common everyday person, Man, you can't handle that. You got to call someone. You know what? I put doorknobs in my office by myself. Didn't call anybody. Had to make two trips to Home Depot. But I don't care. I did it by myself. I didn't need the professional. I didn't even, I'd even tell Kent. Where is he? <laughs> he'd be proud of me and so we just kind of we just kind of give it over and let the people who know what they're doing handle it and i would say even in areas of our faith you know let the, let the pastor do that he can he can talk about the bible he can he can study the bible and and he knows that stuff better than we do and you know what, you know what, you know what us everyday people, we can we can wear the t-shirts, we can get the cool bumper stickers, we can get the WWJD bracelets. You know that you know what would Jesus do? I, he wouldn't spend 5 bucks on a rubber bracelet. I can tell you that. But anyway, you know, we can we can that's the things that we just we we limit ourselves to. But you see, you have to understand here one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, a man that was after God's own heart. It's just an ordinary guy, a kid, a shepherd. Nothing distinguished him. In fact, they just forgot about him, didn't even call him in. He was, he was a lay person, just someone tending sheep. He was called by God to live the purposes of God. And from David, this ordinary guy, the Messiah would come, the Savior of the world. David is the perfect example of what is called the priesthood of believers. And this is not a uh, New Testament idea, the priesthood of believers. In Exodus 19, God tells his people, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And this would have freaked people out a little bit. It Just as it it kind of freaks people out today that we, ordinary people, are called to be a kingdom of priests. Because priests do, they do priest stuff, right? They do the rituals, and they do the sacrificing, and they're the ones that are supposed to actually read and study the Scripture. And they're the ones that are supposed to be praying, and they dress a certain way. But God says, no, no, no. See, I don't want you to have priests I want you to be priests. Just like he calls us in the New Testament, First Peter. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. David was a priest, though he was never called one though maybe he did not have all the qualifications in the world's eyes to be one. Maybe he didn't look like one. He didn't have all the bells and whistles. But David was a priest. And so I guess the good question is, you know, what, what's, what's this whole priest thing look like? I mean, what do I have to do to live the calling that God has put on each life here to live as a priest? And I think that's a very honest question. And e- Eugene Peterson would answer that question this way. A priest presents a person to God or God to a person. Pretty simple, right? A priest presents a person to God or presents God to a person. That's easy. He makes or she makes God visible. He or she speaks the word of God into people's lives. He or she lives God stuff. Day by day, week by week, month by month. This is, this is a priest, ordinary people living ordinary lives, but engaging the plans and the purposes for God. Being built into a spiritual households, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. This is our job. This is our calling. But, okay, what does that look like every day? I mean, how are we called to live in that that thing, that priesthood, that presenting God to people, presenting people to God? What does that look like for me every day? I'm glad you asked. Maybe you didn't ask. Ephesians chapter 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, to get a full understanding of what is being talked about in this text, we actually have to go back to Ephesians 5, verse 1. And we're going to read that, I'm going to give you the cliff notes on that, and then we're going to come back to this, and we're going to land here. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for the Lord's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So what this is just, let's just break this down very briefly. Watch what God does and imitate him. Easy enough, right? God's love is big and extravagant and scandalous, and we are called to love in the same way. Be careful not to let love turn into lust and then lust into sexual immorality. And don't let your love become perverted and get all greedy because those things, that immorality and that greed has no place for the people of God. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Let your words build up, not break down. Let your words be, be a blessing. And not a curse, so watch what you say and understand this that using people or using even religion to get the things that you want is not going to get you any closer to the kingdom of God. And don't be fooled by empty religious talk, God gets angry with people who try to sell religion and really have no heart for Him at all. Don't even Don't even hang around with those people. And then we get back to our text. For you were once darkness, but now you are lights in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather... Expose them. You see, the reason, the reason for not being involved with the stuff that we read, the the sexual immorality, the idolatry, the greed, is not because we're worried about God's judgment on us, God's wrath upon us, but because that we have been changed by Christ and our lives should reflect that change, that we would live as children of light. Once we walked in that darkness, our lives were darkness. We all took part in some way, shape, or form in those things. But because of Jesus, we've been freed from that darkness, and now we, now we are light. And if we are light, let us live as children of light. We can even say, let us live as a spiritual household or as priests. Which means, as we're figuring this thing out, this faith journey out, what it means to be a priest, what it means to live as children of light, we begin to live by values that are very different from what the world lives by. I want you to notice what it says here. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It doesn't say that once you lived in darkness and now you live in light which is which is true i mean that's that's a tr- that would be a true statement but what it says here once you were you were darkness and now because of jesus you are light see this goes beyond just your behavior or just what your what looks, what the words you say, this is about a change deep within your very soul, about a change deep within your heart. You were once darkness, and now because of Christ, you are light, and we are called to live in that light, called to live differently. And Paul goes on to say what it, what it looks like. What does light look like? looks like goodness righteousness truth these, these are characteristics of god these are these are these describe the lord we are called to bring people to god we are called to bring god to people by the way that we live our life and so goodness and kindness to be a benefit to, to be of good welfare to others. It's a word that's, that's used, this word goodness used to uh, describe leaders who do well for their people that, that they're leading. It also is a word that's to describe what, how God treats and how God loves his people. Your life to be a benefit to other people giving of yourself. And so life becomes less about me and more about you, more about serving other people and loving other people, looking for ways to be generous. And, and it's, it's, it saddens me that when we talk about that word generosity, the first thing that everybody usually thinks about is, is money. And this has so very little to do with your money. This is about pouring yourself, everything that you are, into somebody else to be to be good to somebody else, way beyond just material stuff. Goodness, kindness, husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to children, children to parents, brothers and sisters in the faith, friends and family, that we would do good for each other. We would do good to each other. It's like Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Goodness. Righteousness. That we would walk in the righteousness that comes from Jesus, that we would begin to live the way that we have been called by Christ and walk in righteousness. And this has this flavor of sanctification, that our lives are becoming more and more like the life of Jesus, that we are beginning to walk in, in holiness. And this is a very progressive thing. More and more, we are, we are moving toward a life that reflects who Christ is, and this very, I mean, I don't like cliches, those Christianese things at all, but I can't help but throwing this one out, that your life would be looked upon by other people. They would see something different. And they would be attracted to you beyond your stunning looks. And you are a pretty good-looking group. So goodness, righteousness, and truth. Let me, let me, I'll just give you the, truth is a very simple idea here. Live true to who you are. Stop pretending to be somebody or something you're not. Don't be a phony. Stop f- pretending that things are better than they really are, or even maybe worse than they really are. Stop trying to act maybe more important or even, even less important than you are. Live your life authentically. In our culture, I do believe that we don't like authentic. And I'm talking about church world. We don't like authentic because authentic is messy. And authentic is, is a little difficult because you know what that means? You might have to ask somebody a question like, Hey, how you doing? And actually mean it and wait around to hear their answer. And if their answer isn't, Hey, I'm great. You might have to invest in that person. You might have to come alongside that person. And guess what? (gasps) You might have to pray for them. Oh my goodness, really? Like, isn't it easier just to say, hey, I'll pray for you. And that's really your prayer. And you just kind of forget about, I mean, that's just much easier than getting into the messiness of, I'm a, uh, 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 right? I mean, authenticity can be very, very messy. And maybe you're asked that question. And you know what that means? If you're not doing well, you might have to actually say, I'm not doing so good today. And then you might have to actually let somebody into your life. And that's even scarier than having to actually be let into somebody's life. You mean you don't have it all together? Really? (laughs) Come on. Look at the pastor. Model him. It wasn't a joke. It's about coming to the realization that, you know what? It's okay. It's okay not to be okay. Okay. It's one of the reasons why I stood before you after my father died, and I told you, you know what? I'm not okay because I wanted to model that for you and to say there's nothing wrong with being honest. There's nothing wrong with being authentic. You see, authenticity can get just a little... You might have to say, I don't know. Or you might have to actually ask someone for help. It's about understanding that you have limits. In your life, I don't see any Superman in here or a Wonder Woman. We wouldn't notice if you dressed like that. It's about learning when to say no and when to say yes. It's about being honest in our joy and in our struggle. It's about being honest in knowing and not knowing. It's about honesty in happiness and sadness. And you see, light, light exposes the very opposite of those things. What Paul talked about in the first, um, first six verses is darkness. Darkness is walking in selfishness. Darkness is walking in a life that looks nothing like Jesus. Darkness is walking as a phony and a hypocrite. That we would walk in truth. We would be who we are. It's okay if you're messed up. We all are, just to certain degrees. We all are. It's that some of you are much better at hiding it than others. And as we move through these three things, goodness, righteousness, and truth, we are to figure out what pleases the Lord. We are to scrutinize and look over our lives. And, and this goes just beyond morality because I'm going to be straight up with you. Biblical morality is a very black and white thing. It does not have to be scrutinized. There are, some, there are some very firm things that we're called to live out in the Bible. There's no way around those. But this is about looking at your day-to-day life. This is about looking how you're living, how you're interacting, your experiences and your choices every day. Are you making choices that honor God? Are you making choices that would please him? Even when life comes at you full tilt and it becomes really difficult. You see, we need to know the word of God. It has to become part of our lives. And, and the tension that we find ourselves in through all this is sometimes the Bible is quiet on certain things that we experience in our lives. Sometimes the Bible is not specific for that situation, and it's not specific for this situation. i give you an example. Things like movies and TV shows and music. Some movies are toxic. And they can be rated G or rated R. Some TV shows are just bad. Have you seen Jersey Shore? Please. Each one of them need a point in the name of Jesus right in the eyes. Um, That's just me, but, you know. But in saying that, in saying those things, we should not project what the Lord is telling us on other people, except the Jersey of thing, because that's generally just bad anyway. And and so what God is convicting you of, what God is speaking to you of, as you scrutinize your own life, what is he speaking to you in that area? Because sometimes the Bible is just quiet, but we need to actually know principles of the scriptures so we can begin to apply them to our lives. That the choices we make, the experiences we have, the decisions we make will be pleasing. The Lord. This is what we're called to to walk as priests, to walk as children of the light. And so, we are going to celebrate communion this morning. Don't rush this morning, you don't have to leave the Grange. We had to be out by like 12. We could stay here all day, man. It's a beautiful thing. This is our place. Don't rush through communion this morning. This is, this is about remembering what Jesus has done. About taking some time to think through what Jesus has done. And as this is a, another Sunday in Lent. This time of spiritual cleansing. This time of, of taking spiritual stock in our lives. Let your mind begin to travel to the truth of who you have been called to be. A royal priesthood being built into a spiritual house that you would walk as children of the light. Called to bring people to God and God to people by the way that you live and by the words that you use. Ordinary people like you and I have been called, anointed, and empowered by God's Spirit to live the plans and purposes of God's life. That's, that, that's David's story, and it's our story because of Jesus Christ. And so as, as you kind of think through and as you spend some time just kind of meditating through this morning, let the, let the Lord search your heart. And let him show you maybe, maybe where your life can shine a little brighter with goodness. And let the Lord search your heart. And let him, let him show you where your life doesn't look so much like Jesus' life. Not to, not to make you feel like garbage or make you feel guilty, but to, to free you into the things and the plans and the purposes that God would have for you. Spend some time thinking through where in your life are you just living inauthentic? You're faking it. You're a phony. You're a hypocrite. Let God show you those things. Spend some time repenting. Repentance is a good thing. Repentance is a strengthening thing. It's a freeing thing. We all need to do it. And allow the Lord to strengthen you. As you come to this table this morning, remember the price and the sacrifice that was made so that you could walk in goodness, and you could walk in righteousness, and you could walk in truth. That you are children of the Most High God. That you are children of light, a royal priesthood. And maybe... Maybe there's a, there's a place in your life this morning where you will have nothing more to do with darkness. And so as you come to the table, or as you sit, we, we were just we're going to spend some time. you can come as you, when you're ready. We'll take communion together at the end. We're going to play some music just to give some background uh, background noise. Don't waste this moment. Allow the Lord to work in your life.